Hi, my name's Sam Finlay, and you're listening to the Aces Podcast. In this new episode, I speak with Dr. Vipul Gupta from our University of Tasmania Node. We share a conversation about his career in science, completing a PhD with Aces, co-founding 3D Made, and much more. So, let's get to our chat. So joining me on the podcast today is ACES affiliate and ARC DECRA fellow at the University of Tasmania, Dr. Vipul Gupta. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Sam. It's always a pleasure talking to you. So it's a different world as we were just discussing. So, yep, it's good to be a part of it. Yeah. So, you know, let's let's go back to uh, the beginning for your, your career as we normally do on this podcast and mm. wanted to ask you why science in the beginning? So I, so when when I was doing my undergrad in India in Delhi, basically I started working with some of the graduate students there and started seeing some of the masters and PhD projects and that fascinated. What fascinated me really was problem solving. So I saw that they were they were trying to find solutions to some of the industry related problems and stuff, and I found that very intriguing. So since childhood I've been. I have been fascinated by puzzles, riddles, and things. If I see a problem, I want to find a solution to it somewhere or the other. I, I like solving puzzles and things. And I saw these masters and PhD projects as real life puzzles and valuable puzzles. Like if you can solve the problem, you are really making a change. You are really doing something. You are helping with a product. And so I was doing my uh, undergraduate in pharmacy. So most of the projects I was at least observing dealt with pharmaceutical manufacturing and doses manufacturing and whatnot. And they had a real uh, you tangible benefits, basically, you can which you can see that if you this is a problem which a current industry is facing. And if you can solve it, then you there will be a product in the market which you can say that yes, you helped to bring that product in the market. And that was the motivating force that I can do something which can make a real change and I can and while doing that, I since I enjoy solving puzzles and riddles, I, I'm enjoying myself. Like I'm doing, I'm pursuing my hobby as my career. Basically, that's what motivated me into science and doing projects, and that's what I try to do even now. In science, to be honest, there are broadly you can classify most of the projects in two broad classifications. If I want to be blunt, some projects deal with some projects have an uh, idea that we have a solution and let's see what problem the solution can solve. And then there are other projects which go after problems and try to solve those. And I'm usually more interested in the second part of it. Uh, I try to identify some problems which, which can have real value and try to come up with solutions to those. So, because that's what fascinates me, like, and, and going from fundamental to translation, and that's what we mostly do with ACES, the focus on translation and things. Well, if I want to, if I do something 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, I would want that that thing helped, has a tangible benefit. I can see something coming out of it, not just doing something and ending up into publications and that's the end of it so yeah yeah right so you've gone on obviously to do a phd 
But you, you mentioned there uh, pharmaceuticals, and I believe mm. you studied that for your undergraduate degree. Is that correct? Yes. So I did my undergraduate in pharmacy. Then I did my master's in material science. Then I worked for one and a half year in computational modeling. And then I came to Australia and did my PhD in electrical chemistry, 3D printing, sort of. So it has my, my career trajectory has been very interdisciplinary. But the guiding principle again has been there that so so I did my pharmacy because after uh, our high school, uh, my, to be honest, my elder brother was studying pharmaceutical sciences and I got admission into a decent pharmacy school in India, in Delhi University, which is quite highly ranked. So I got in, to be honest, when I took admission in undergraduate pharmacy, I really did not know what pharmacy, pharmaceutical sciences <laughs> were and stuff. But then when I, when I got in, I realized that I'm more interested towards the material science of it, towards the drugs, the products, the chemistry and their manufacturing, more than their biological side, how they affect body and things. So in pharmacy, it's how you make a drug and then how that drug goes into the body and do a response and stuff. I'm more interested in the materials and the processing side. That's why I went for a master's in materials engineering. And then I when I completed my master's, I realized that, so I was, uh, my materials engineering project was very hardcore laboratory based project. I was doing surface modification. I was working with developing hydrophobic coatings for Apple iPhones, basically. So, but while doing that, I realized that a lot of laboratory work. Uh, so for most of the processes which we're doing, to understand their fundamental and to understand how really that chemistry works, I need to understand their molecular dynamics and go on to the molecular level, basically, which you can't do in a lab. You can't see molecules interacting. You can't see what they're doing. And I, I got intrigued by how those fundamental molecular interactions affect the product itself, like when I was developing hydrophobic coating for iPhones, we were trying to put down angstrom nanometer size coatings, which are electrically conductive, which are hydrophobic, uh, resistant to water up to certain depth and stuff. And I realized this all boils down to just the molecular interaction between our, our hydrophobic molecule, which was fluorocyline, and the surface of the iPhone glass. So I got interested into those interaction, molecular interaction. That's why I started working in molecular dynamics and molecular simulations. So I started studying DFT simulations, semi-empirical molecular modeling and stuff just to understand those things. And then when I was doing that, this opportunity came up where I, uh, I could do a PhD in 3D printing. And back in 2014, 3D printing and still 3D printing is quite new and catching on basically it was one of the cutting edge field of research so i got interested in 3d printing and it, and it brought together my material science and my computational modeling uh, experiences and expertise together so i came down and started doing my 3d printing and then i got associated with aces where i got introduced to a more holistic picture 
So not just 3D printing, but 3D printing of materials which can be translated into commercial products and how you can integrate with synthetic biosystems, how you can use it for energy storage, energy synthesis, what are the ethics related to it. So that uh, as getting associated with ASS gave me that holistic view of science, of research. Usually when you work in isolated labs or even departments, you don't necessarily get that holistic picture because you're only interested in your project, you're only interested in your science, you're doing that. But being part of ASS really expanded my worldview of science and research basically and started and I started seeing those connections that how research, a small research in lab goes on and affect 10 different things. So, yeah. So it has been an interesting journey and still going on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Certainly a, a, a journey. Uh, speaking about that journey, I'm wondering how did the actual opportunity at the University of Tasmania mm. come about? So when I was working in computational modeling, I was looking for PhD positions. So I asked my master's supervisor if he has, if he has, or if he knows any PhD opportunity. And, I, and when I was talking to him, by chance, he was visiting Utah in back days when you could visit different <laughs> universities and stuff. So he was here and he was talking to Brett and they were hoping to have a PhD student who has some experience from uh, my previous supervisor's research lab, which was based in material sciences, and who has some background knowledge of chromatography and stuff and can translate some of those materials into chromatography. And when I was talking to uh, my previous supervisor, as I said, he was here and he was, so that opportunity was being created while I, so I was, I approached someone at the right time basically so i was kind of i happened to be at the right place at the right time basically there was an opportunity where they needed someone who had material science skills and at the same time i approached them with material science skills so that's how yeah right time right up, place yeah, yeah exactly most of it yeah most of things we saw we see are just basically if you happen to be at the right place at the right time and yep so speaking about your PhD, I guess more specifically, what um, was the project on? So the project, so the thesis, the title of my thesis is 3D printed miniaturized analytical devices. Basically the project was to use some of the cutting edge 3D printing techniques, which were being developed in ACES and outside ACES and try to use them to develop microfluidic components, which can hopefully replace if not replace at least be a part of those bench top instruments so the the whole the broader idea is that uh, most analytical instruments are bench top size they're limited to laboratories the idea was to if we can use 3d printing and its capabilities to make three-dimensionally microfluidic structures to miniaturize the footprint of those instruments into handheld or at least briefcase size instruments so that we can take them on site and we can do on site real time analysis so that's why i started miniaturizing different components of chromatographic instruments to start with i miniaturized columns i miniaturized flow cells pumps and stuff so yeah so basically using 3d printing to 
make miniaturized components which can not only which can not only help you to minimize the footprint of the instrument but also simultaneously allows you to do something which was not feasible with conventional manufacturing techniques so there was a project which we did where we 3d printed a real very different column geometries three dimensional column geometries so conventional columns are limited to two dimensional planes and stuff and back in 1960s it was proposed that if you can go to three dimensions there is a lot more capabilities you can explore but there was no way of going into that three dimension using 3d printing we were able to go into three dimension and we started exploring those and saw how you can use 3d printing to make three dimensional microfluidic structures to not only replace conventional instrument but even increase their performance basically so yeah, that was the yeah and you also co-founded uh, 3d made yeah. which was you know created to facilitate yeah. researchers in developing uh, bespoke analytical devices for their projects yep. correct yep yep so the work which we were doing through throughout our phd as i said was using 3d printing to create miniaturized microfluidic components and it happened that when i used to present my work in conferences and things we always used to get few people approaching us ah that looks pretty cool can can we get those components can we use those parts because we were miniaturizing components which are used in regularly by analytical chemists so we used to pretty much just print them and give it to them and then soon enough we realized if there is a demand for these products why not set up a venture where we can satisfy that demand where we can start printing these on a like higher scale and also provide translational avenues to some of the fundamental research we did because otherwise most of the stuff which we did would have just ended up in a drawer and finished up with peer reviewed papers that's all they would have never seen uh, light of the day they would other researchers would not have benefited with it as much as they can now because the stuff which we were doing was uh, very relevant so miniaturization of analytical components is uh, quite like people are quite interested in this field it's uh, there is a significant attention towards miniaturizing analytical instruments but those who are involved in analytical chemistry and those who are involved in these projects don't necessarily have the material science and additive manufacturing knowledge and capabilities so we kind of bridge that gap where we have the material science and additive manufacturing capabilities and we understand chemistry and biology enough that we can serve their uh, project we can solve their problems and most of the clients which we get with for 3d made are usually that they are working on a project and they want to do a consultation based kind of thing where they want to get our view how we can better tackle it and if we can use 3d printing to create some of the components which can solve their problems and what not some of the projects which we did with tel lab and recently company in china so they have a product in line and they are struggling with some of the flow cells and they wanted us to have a look at it and see if we can use 3d printing to solve some of their issues and we were able to do that so yeah that's the whole idea basically to bridge that gap between additive manufacturing and application side 
Right, and is 3D made still operating? Obviously, things yep. are made a little bit more difficult through yeah, the so, pandemic. But yeah, so we launched 3D made in 2019, and soon enough, COVID hit, and everything pretty much stopped because so there were a lot of fun. We rallied up a lot of people in university. There was a big support for it. We got some uh, innovation grant from the university to set it up. Everything was set up. Everything started functioning by late 2019 or so, but 2020 hit and everyone stopped and we were talking to a few customers and stuff. They uh, had to stop their lab work and stuff. So basically we happened to launch a company at a very bad time when no one really needed anything at that time uh, other than a Netflix. (laughs) So, yeah, so, but from 2021, we are restarting kind of rebooting that uh, we caught some momentum in 2019, which got a bit lost during 2020, but we're trying to get back onto that momentum. Recently, we have secured another small grant from Utah's Oh, great. help with that venture which has allowed us to hire some research technicians to help us with some of the 3d made products develop new products and things like that and then we have to do all the components of a business like mark social marketing legal accounting and stuff some of that take is getting taken care by utah and things so yeah so yeah we launched it everything kind of stopped and now we are trying to reboot it and trying to get it further across recently we are seeing some attraction again we are gaining that attraction back we are talking to those customers which were in which were in contact with 2019 some of us we have been able to get back some of us has moved on and things like that so yeah but yeah it's a it's going on it's it's it will be a long road as with mm. any startup company but yeah so far so good i would say right. we we are uh, we started it with the aim that someone might be able to get a benefit out of all the research and hard work we have put in in past few years and it seems people are there is a demand for these products and we hopefully we will be able to satisfy that demand and hopefully and these, the most of the products which we work with are mostly research oriented. Though we have been also working with industries, but they are also they are also we are mostly working with their new line of products. Because the one problem with three D printing is that most of the conventional three D printed materials are not very robust or very long lasting. You can say that they don't they don't last a lifetime like in a conventional instrument you want something very strong metallic and things like that which can survive so but in a research when you want to experiment when you try with what works what not that's where these components come in very handy and actually we worked with the industry uh, late last year who use some of the 3d printed components to finalize the design and once they optimize that design then they go went back to conventional manufacturing and made that design into conventional materials using conventional manufacturing. So at least 3D printing helped them to reach to that design, basically. Yeah. So other than 3D made, I'm wondering what you're currently working on as, you know, part of this role as a um, ARC Decra fellow. Yeah. So my Decra, as I said, most of the 3D printable materials which we have are not very robust and in art, they don't, 
they don't fit into commercial instruments and stuff, commercial settings. So as a part of my DECRA, I'm involved in developing new materials such as glass, basically. So glass is has been used for years, decades in chemistry because one, it has high chemical inertness, uh, it transparent, it has very, it has quite uh, favorable surface properties, etc. So, but currently 3D printing of glass is not very viable. So there are only few methods available for 3D printing glass, but none of them is very commercially viable because either it leads to a lot of shrinkage or it uh, it is limited in the capabilities it can do, like either the resolution is very poor and stuff. So <clears throat> the idea of my DECRA product is to come up with raisins and printing technologies, which we can use to print high resolution glass and taking a step forward, if we can print high resolution, multi-level porosity glass. So basically multi-level porosity is where, so we want multi-level porosity to increase surface area to volume ratio. And there are a lot of applications such as chromatography, energy storage, diagnosis, etc. where you need that. So uh, hierarchy, so multi-level porosity is termed as hierarchical porosity. And that's inspired from nature. If you look at leaves, if you look at intestine, all these things have those multi-level porosity to get that high surface area to uh, for leaves to capture maximum sunlight and to do those catalysis reactions and produce uh, good yield of uh, oxygen and use carbon dioxide and whatnot. In intestine, you need that high level of porosity to, to get maximum absorption. So basically, if you can replicate those natural structures, then there's a lot more we can do. And if we can use 3D printing to make those structures, then not only we are we are um, introducing the capabilities of high level porosity, we are also introducing the capability of 3D printing by freeing us from design restrictions and allowing us to do very complex architectures and scaling up and things. So basically, trying to integrate advanced materials into 3D printing. So that's the whole idea of that ARC background. Right. And a question I ask everyone that I get on the podcast is if they've got some sort of uh, routine that they do every day, it might be a morning routine or, you know, a lot of people say it's starting my day with coffee. Uh, I know your, your mornings might be a little bit different because I know you had a newborn not too long ago. Yeah. So, yeah. So our routine very much changed to be honest, few months back and now it's very hard for us to even get into a routine because our routine is pretty much yeah, getting up then if she's still sleeping yeah i can i get ready get her ready for her daycare and yeah come to lab but yeah we we haven't really fixed a routine to be honest for last few months it has been a very flexible routine depending on how our night was if she woke up once or a couple of times in the night if we need some more time in the morning to get up and things like that so yeah yeah it has been it, it, uh, enjoy a, a very different few months to be honest. Like there are a lot of fees. So if you talk to talk to any parent, 
they will tell you that the journey of parenthood was very hard but still you see that everyone do want to become a parent and everyone mm. becomes a parent and and that's there's a reason why we are 100 billion of us now <laughs> i think the reason is that yes it is hard and it, it takes a toll on you and your career and everything whether you, how no matter how you want to put it but yes uh, but there is something which gives you a lot of emotional satisfaction or something there is something which keeps you going like to be honest i i can tap into a lot more energy today than i was before she was born so i, mm. I, I my limits have really extended previously i can't even imagine doing what i'm doing now right <laughs> like because one when you have to do it you find ways of doing mm. it so previously i never i for me it was just coming to university doing my stuff going back having few hours of relaxation dinner sleep and the same routine right now when you now at that time i could not even think that i will have time to do all the stuff which i have to do now taking care of her getting her ready and then her doctor's appointment and things like that attending to her waking up at night couple of time but all that is doable now somehow <laughs> and i guess that just parenthood just push you to that to tap into that some unreserved uh, energy you have somewhere because you can't you can't let go your work you can't let go of your life and you can't let go parenthood Mm. so i guess when it comes on to you you find ways to do it and it happens and and when i'm when i'm with my daughter to be honest uh, the feelings the emotions which i get are not easy to describe like i never felt those emotions yeah. before so yeah so yes it is hard but it's a unique experience and i now i can't imagine my life without her. <laughs> yeah <I bet. laughs> yeah it, it, so yep it's a <laughs> it's a very different unique experience being a first time parent yeah. yeah uh so just to finish up the podcast this is something else i also ask every guest that i get on i'm wondering if you could maybe offer um some advice for someone who's maybe started a phd or um you know perhaps thinking about uh, doing one the advice i could give is probably keep going there will be a lot of hardships there will be a lot of obstacles there you will find a lot of people who will be there to help you but you will also find a lot of people who are there to block you and to put you down but if you think that you have to keep going and you don't so for me one force is that i don't i just don't have a option of giving up or stopping now so the only option remaining is i can't go back so the only option left is moving forward so no matter what the scenario is no matter what the conditions are you have to keep moving forward you have to keep moving you have to keep making best of what hand you have been delivered you might get lucky sometime and get a good hand of cards if you want to say like that but yeah like the thumb rule is if you have to keep moving no matter what and eventually sooner or later things do work out as steve jobs said you can only understand your life looking backwards mm. 
lot of things which I did few years back when I was doing it, I was like, why, why I'm studying this course, why I'm doing this, why I'm doing like, why I'm studying uh, this technique, why I'm, why, why I have to do this. Now thinking back, all those things do join, do come up like the experience, the most important thing you get out of any, whether PhD, undergraduate, master's, postdoc, anything, is not the concepts, the science which you study, it's the experience. Mm -hmm. It's that, it's the skill which you develop. So even in PhD, and that's what I tell my students that during, during PhD, our main aim is not to teach you scientific concepts. You can learn those anywhere you want. And to be honest, there's more than 70, 80% chance that you won't even work in the same field once you graduate. Our aim is to prepare you for post PhD. Our aim is to pre pre give you those skills, those problem solving mm -hmm. skills, those aptitude, which you can use in your jobs. Basically, a P when you come out of a PhD, you Employers don't hire you because you have a PhD in a certain field. Employers hire you because they know you have spent three, four years tackling problems, come mm. finding solutions to them. You have developed an aptitude towards problem solving. You have developed a, an aptitude towards dealing with struggles. You know how to deal with difficult situations. You won't give up, you will find solutions. So yeah, that's that's the most important thing, I guess. Count on experiences and just keep moving on. Keep collecting those experiences and things, and dots will join. Yeah. Great advice. Yeah. Well, uh, look, uh, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me, Vipul. It's always a pleasure Thank to catch you. up. Same here. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for all the latest ASUS news, head over to our website, electromaterials.edu.au. Until next time, goodbye.